This is Cambridge Judge Business School's online knowledge centre with expert commentary, analysis and insights into the issues of the day. I think the Cadbury Archive underscores the point that corporate governance research and issues related to that have been very important to Cambridge. And the new Cambridge Corporate Governance Network, which brings together researchers in the law faculty, the Judge Business School, the Centre for Corporate Law, and also from economics, is a great addition to our portfolio because it allows us to showcase the work which is done across the university. The Cadbury Archive is an integral part of that. That was Professor Gishan Disanayaka, Adam Smith Professor of Corporate Governance, who formally accepted Sir Adrian Cadbury's speeches and added them to the collection housed at Cambridge Judge Business School. In the wake of the publication, over 20 years ago, of his committee's report, formally titled Financial Aspects of Corporate Governance, Sir Adrian has addressed financial and banking institutions, companies, even governments, on the Code's recommendations. It's now been used by over 100 countries to establish best practice in corporate governance. On one occasion, Sir Adrian told the World Bank Group that corporate governance is concerned with holding the balance between economic and social goals and between individuals and commercial goals. If that's the case, why do so many apparently blame corporate governance or poor corporate governance for the financial meltdown of the last few years? It's a very fundamental question. And clearly, in the crisis, we, we, we failed to strike that right, you know, to strike that proper balance, which I don't think was the fault of the, the system, so to speak. One important aspect was, if you like, that the governance system did not operate as it should. And by that I mean, if you look at the risks that the banking system took, first of all in the United States with the, with the um, um, prime uh, lending, uh, and then in this country with, with what happened here, the failure was a failure by boards of directors and those responsible for assessing those risks and holding in check, um, which is part of the, the balance. Um, for example, in this country, the uh, non-executive members of um, the boards of the banks that got into trouble um, should have exercised the kind of restraint, raised the questions, challenged in the way that boards are meant to do. So, if you like, there's a failure there. It's a human failure. The system was in place, but the actors did not, in fact, act according to the script. You produced the code. Yes. But the code layered everything very accurately, defined everything very clearly. And I think, referring back to what you've just said, you could not account for human behaviour. That is entirely true. It was difficult enough to provide what we felt was required, uh, which was to get across to boards of directors and individual directors uh, the extent of their responsibilities, because we found when we started uh, that there was really widespread misunderstanding uh, of what they were there to do, what governance was for. Uh, And so... We were careful when we published the report on the code 
to say that these are recommendations, clear recommendations and short recommendations, um, which you should implement. And then we said, in ways which made sense in your particular circumstances. And that was very important. And one of the hopes that certainly I had, and I think other committee members had as well, was that the code would be aspirational, not setting a floor to, you know, what had to be done, just, well, if we meet these, these points, that's it. But to think always in terms of how do we progress, how do we in fact improve the standards of governance? At the outset, the remit was clear and narrow. You say that yourself. It widened with the, the demise of Robert Maxwell. But did it widen enough? We were set up specifically to look at this issue of um, corporate failure and the apparent um, inability of the annual reports and accounts of companies that failed to state the true position um, as regards their, their financial affairs. So the nature of the committee that we had was, first of all, strongly accountancy-based. They, I mean, one of the reasons that, to, to my surprise, really, that I was asked to chair this committee was, was really because I wasn't an accountant. Mm. I was somebody who was interested in the ways that uh, boards worked, and I'd written about uh, uh, board working. But nevertheless, the, the, the focus um, of the membership uh, was in order to put right loose accounting standards, failures in, 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 in reports and accounts, um, and there's, uh, we would not really have been the right group to have widened it far outside that. I, mean, I think we did our best as a result of Maxwell. I think we could do that, but that was about it. 20 years on, over 100 countries have adopted or adapted the code worldwide. Are you a little disappointed that the take-up has not been greater? And are you disappointed, too, that America hasn't taken <laughs> oh, this up? Well, America, I, I absolutely agree about America. I mean, the difference is that they have always had a legal approach to the whole issue um, of the way that companies were run. And everything turns on... You have a, lo a lawyer at every meeting. Um, everything turns on the legal interpretation of decisions by the board. Um, so there wasn't really room for a... I still think, actually, they could benefit from some um, general thoughts about the way in which boards ought to operate. Um, but they are very much bound by um, the, the legal system. I mean... To go back to the question, I mean, I, I am simply amazed that a hundred countries should have should have followed the approach. I mean, when we when we when we produced the report and the code, um, really there was only Australia was the only other country that had a, a similar kind of approach to the problem. So it, 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 it uh, I never expected to be travelling around the world talking about corporate governance in all these countries. Can I pick up on one of your remarks, and that is that, that you looked at a European code, but it lacked logic. Yes. Uh, the European Commission 
became keen on the idea that as part really of their sort of European remit, that there should be a European code. The problem about that was that, in fact, if you looked even then at the membership of the community, there were enormous differences. I mean, for example, uh, in Germany, the involvement of employees was extremely important. It was a fundamental part of, uh, uh, of their approach uh, to... Um, to boards of directors and to the way that companies were run and to whom companies were responsible. And all that would have happened if you had tried to produce um, a European code by looking at the codes which already had come into being, and of course it didn't cover all of Europe, um, you would really end up with a watered-down um, version which would have added nothing to the country codes, in my view. Turning back the clock, what would you do differently if you were asked to do it again? <laughs> Gosh. One thing that, that, I mean, first of all, we didn't have any um, statutory power and, and, and so we moved to what we referred to as market regulation. Um, but the one recommendation which it would have been, uh, in my view, um, right and helpful to have turned into law um, would be the need to have a properly constituted audit committee. One of the, the issues that, that really surprised us was the failure by many large companies to have a, an audit committee that really looked at the figures at the reporting that had a good relationship with the auditors and made use of the, uh, what the auditors could, could offer. The second thing is perhaps more fundamental in a way. Um, and it was beginning to, to it's something I, I must say I would have liked to have pursued, but it was too early. And that is that um, in business, we evaluate everybody, we evaluate the management, we did not evaluate how boards were working. And in my view, if, as I believe, the board is, is, is uh, you know, that, that, that's the pivot, um, then boards ought to go through a process of self-evaluation. How well are we working? Could we do better? What decisions have we made which, on looking back, um, were the right decisions and which ones weren't? So that, um, that, that question of board evaluation of themselves um, seems to me the gap which it would have been good if we could have filled. Sir Adrian Cadbury. And to place in context the importance of the Cadbury Code to financial development, here's Professor Simon Deakin, Fellow in Corporate Governance. First of all, we've seen that many countries around the world did change their laws or their corporate governance codes in response to the original Cadbury model. It's a very impressive level of diffusion of this code. And in particular, we see this model of independent boards uh, being diffused from the developed world to the developing world. So many emerging markets have adopted the, the model for good corporate governance that, that Sir Adrian's committee recommended. So then secondly, we can see a very clear statistical relationship between the adoption of these improved standards for accountability and a measurable impact on stock markets. So we see that where there's, there's an increase in legal protection for shareholder rights, we also see an increase in the value of 
the shares of listed companies. And we also see an increase in the turnover of shares on public stock exchanges. And this is almost certainly because the, these laws promote investor confidence in listed companies and they lead to more stock market activity. This programme was produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School as part of its online broadcast series.